And I'll invite you to either turn in your bulletin to where you can find our sermon passage printed out for you, or you can turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 16 and 17 of that chapter. For this Advent season, we'll continue to do uh, what we've been doing these last weeks, also as we've been doing on our Wednesday night Bible studies we've been holding over Zoom, where we've been looking at some of the prayers that are found in Scripture. I've made the suggestion that as we look at the prayers that the apostles prayed for those to whom they wrote their letters, that in those prayers we learn some of God's desires for us. During this Advent season, we've been looking at prayers corresponding to the four themes of Advent And so we've looked at prayers that the Lord would give us hope. We've looked at prayers about how the God of peace has promised to give to us the peace of God. We also looked at prayers for joy. Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the theme of the fourth Sunday of Advent is love. And so today we'll be looking at this prayer from 2 Thessalonians 2, which makes reference to God's love for us. Now this isn't only a prayer about love, but certainly it's at least also about God's love. And so let's look at this prayer so that we might learn about God's love and about what he's already given us and what we can look to him to still yet give us. But before we do that, before we look at God's word, let's first ask for God's help. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've already given us. Lord, you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your spirit so that we might rightly understand your word. Lord, we pray that you would give your spirit all the more to us this very morning. Lord, so we might understand this portion of scripture rightly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well... It's good for us to ask for that type of prayer, to to make that type of prayer to the Lord, to give thanks for what he's given, but then also to ask for more, to look for him to bless us all the more. That's basically what Paul will do in this prayer that we'll look at today. This prayer actually is a kind of benediction. It's a, it's a little bit unique in that this benediction, rather than occurring at the end of a letter, like we're accustomed to seeing, this benediction occurs a bit earlier here at the end of chapter 2. Now there is still another benediction at the end of the letter, but Paul also works in this second earlier benediction. Why might he have done that? Well, perhaps it's because these things that he's been writing to the Thessalonians have been difficult things. They've been concerning things. This is a difficult chapter. These words that Paul has written to them um, may challenge their faith. You see, the, the Thessalonians have been concerned. Their faith has been shaken. And their faith has been shaken more than, than just a bit. Their, their faith has been shaken because of the trials and the persecutions that they've been facing. And their faith has been shaken because they've expected that Jesus would have returned already by now. 
And so it's into that context that, that Paul has written these two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And in, in this chapter alone, Paul writes to them about the man who he calls the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. Paul writes to them telling them that they are going to have even still more trials and more persecution to come. Paul's written them to encourage them in their fear. But even as he does that, even as he writes to encourage them, he knows that the very words that he has written may yet even strike more fear and more concern into them. Do you know what that fear feels like? Are you ever fearful? Perhaps you're fearful or anxious about something right now. Have you ever had your faith shaken? Maybe you're feeling your faith wavering a bit or even much more than just a bit, even right now. If so, if that's the case, then friends, this prayer is for you. If so, this benediction, this promise of a blessing from the Lord is for you. Again, our passage is 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. This is God's holy, living, and inerrant word. Let's give it the attention that it so richly deserves. Paul writes and Paul prays, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, And gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Now as we consider this prayer, I'd like for us to make note of four things. Let's look at what Paul tells us about Jesus. Let's look at what Paul tells us about God. And let's look at what he says we've already received from God. And then also, let's consider what Paul says that God would still yet bless us with. First, what does Paul tell us about Jesus? Well, Paul begins verse 16 with the words, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. And then he asked that they together, Father and Son, would bless them. You know, it's possible for us to to gloss right over this, but, but I don't think that we should. Because this is actually amazing. Maybe these aren't amazing words for you and I to hear because they're so familiar to us. But think of when this letter is being written. The letters to the Thessalonians are are among the very earliest of all of the New Testament letters to have been written. Probably they're written sometime between A.D. 49 and A.D. 51 or so. Within 20 years or so of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And already Paul is speaking about the divinity of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing here. Paul's asking that God would bless his readers. And in his prayer for them, he directs that prayer not only to the Father, but also to the Son. 
And as he does that, he even does this somewhat remarkable thing of placing Jesus first in his request. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father bless you. Here's what the British theologian John Stott says about this. He writes saying, Paul opens his prayer with these words, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. Paul couples the Father and the Son. But he startles us here by putting the Son before the Father. It's amazing enough that within 20 years of the resurrection that Paul would have bracketed Jesus Christ with God. It is yet more amazing that he now brackets God with Jesus Christ. And he goes on, in in spite of the plurality of the subject, Jesus Christ and God the Father, he then goes on to use the singular reflexive who and the singular Greek verbs for loved and gave. Stott says, Paul is quite clear in this prayer about the equality and the unity of the Father and the Son. This shows us that that even in the very earliest days of Christianity, there was an understanding and an insistence on the deity of Jesus Christ. Now the next several hundred years would be plagued with numerous arguments and heresies about this matter. It'd be the subject actually of multiple church consuls beginning in Nicaea in the year 325 and concluding in Chalcedon in 451, which in, in these councils, they would affirm the deity of Jesus Christ and help us to understand with the words of the Nicene Creed, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all world, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. The one to whom Paul prays is the one Trinitarian God, the Father and the Son, who along with the Spirit are of one substance, and co-equal in power and glory. So in this prayer, we learn about Jesus and his divinity, his deity. Now, what do we learn about the nature? What do we learn about the character? What do we learn about the personality of God in this passage? Well, look at verse 16 again, if you would. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Let's just stop there for a moment and meditate on these simple but yet profound truths. And that is that God is the one who loves us and who gives to us. He is our Father who loved us and gave us. Beloved, you have a God in heaven who delights to receive you as his dearly loved son, as his dearly loved daughter. 1 John 1.3, that passage 
that we read already today. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The love of the Father rests upon you. You are the object of His affection. In John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in verse 23, He prays that we would come to understand that the Father loves us just as the Father loves Him. Just ponder that for a moment. That God the Father loves you just as, to the same degree that He loves His Son Jesus. The love of the Father rests upon all those who are united in faith to His Son Jesus. That's the basis upon which the Father relates to us. That's what we're told in Ephesians 1. There Paul says that it was in love that God predestined us for adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us. It's in love that God determined to save you and to unite you to His Son and to receive you as His Son, His daughter. And of course, there's John 3.16, that verse that we heard earlier today that we're all so familiar with. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So in this prayer, we learn about the deity, we learn about the divinity of Jesus Christ. And we also learn that God is our Father, and that He's our Father God who loves us, and who is a giving God. Now let's consider what it is that God has given us already. And what is that? Well, look at verse 16. There we we learn that God has given us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. He's given us Jesus. He's given us himself. Remember that. We remember that, especially at this time of year, at Christmas time, we remember that that God has given us Jesus. But it's important for us to be mindful of that each and every day of the year. Yes, at Christmas, but certainly not only at Christmas. Every day of the year, the Christian would be well served to remember the love that the Father has for you. And his gift to you of his son, Jesus Christ. Remember this. Remember God's gift to you. Remember his gift of the Christ child in the manger. Remember his gift to you of the God man on the cross. The sinless son of God given to you for an atonement for sin. As we see in these verses in our passage for today, those those things that God has given to us, they're given to us on what basis? On love, but also Paul mentions another basis here. They're given to us through grace. 
Remember God's gift of grace to you. Remember His gift of undeserved mercy, undeserved merit given to you by this God who loves you and who gives to you, who gives Himself to you. We remember that all that the Lord gives is through grace, not because of anything that you ever have done or anything that you ever will do, but only because of His unconditional love and the unconditional, undeserved grace and mercy which He pours out upon those to whom He's united to Jesus Christ. And remember this also. Because there's nothing that you have ever done or there's nothing that you ever will do to deserve God's love, well then what that means also is that there's nothing that you can ever do to disqualify you from being a recipient of that love and grace. Unless you reject it. Unless you scorn it unless you refuse to accept it and blaspheme it. God offers the free gift of eternal comfort and the free gift of eternal life and good hope, which is Jesus Christ. Will you accept that gift or will you reject it? Reject that gift and you will receive no comfort in this life or the next. Accept those gifts and eternal comfort and the good hope which is the Lord Jesus Christ will be yours in all times and in all circumstances. So Paul gives thanks to God that the Lord has already loved them and given them an eternal comfort and good hope. Let's look now at what Paul now prays that the Lord would still yet give them. And as we look at verse 17, we'll see that Paul prays that the Lord would comfort them all the more and that he'd establish them in every good work and every good word. In other words, Paul prays that the Lord would encourage them and equip them. Paul prays that the Lord would comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, Think of this. Do you see, Paul has said that the Lord has already comforted them. He's already given them an eternal comfort. Why would he pray that the Lord would provide more comfort? Well, because we need that. One can never have too much comfort. One one can never have too much encouragement. Paul knows That this life, he knows that the Christian life can be hard. He knows that it is hard. If anyone knows that, Paul knows this. He knows that the Christian life can be a terrible struggle, a difficult struggle, as we war against the world and the flesh and the devil. Paul's learned that for himself. He's learned that that he needs the Lord's daily sustaining grace to help him endure. And he knows that every follower of Jesus Christ 
And God knows that you and I need it also. And so that's why it's included in this portion of God's word. They know that you and I need that same daily sustaining grace and comfort and encouragement as well. That's why Paul's written these passages that we've been looking at these past weeks. These passages in which he encourages God's people that the God of encouragement and endurance, Romans 15.5, will give encouragement to make it possible for us to endure. That's why a few, few years after these letters that he's written to the Thessalonians, he writes to the Corinthians about the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. And we can be confident that God will give this kind of comfort and encouragement that Paul prays for in this verse. And we can be confident that because of the nature of the comfort that God gives, what kind of comfort is it that God has already given? An eternal comfort. Paul says in verse 16 that God has given an eternal comfort. That means that it's never ceasing. It's never ending. And so, friends, that's why we can expect that the Lord, that the Lord bless this prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. And we can expect that the Lord would bless this type of prayer for you and I as well as we pray this for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. But notice this also, that this comfort and encouragement that God gives is for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, it's, it's verse 17, that we would be established or strengthened, or equipped for every good work and word. Paul prays that the Thessalonians would be comforted and encouraged and established and strengthened for ministry service. He prays that they would be strengthened so that they would stand firm in their faith and not depart from it. And he wants them to be established and strengthened in the faith so that they can engage in ministry service in expanding the kingdom of God as well. It's related to what we do on Christmas Eve. At the conclusion of our candlelight service, when we share the light from the Christ candle, as Christ is the light of the world, He then calls us and enables us to also be the light of the world. And He sends us out on a mission. He sends us out to show a watching world the joy and the comfort that it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as one's God and Savior. And to, as we're called to do in 1 Peter 2.9, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Our passage is a prayer for comfort. And it's a prayer that celebrates the Father's love for us. In this prayer, Paul reminds the Thessalonians and he reminds us of the Father's love for us. 
and all that the Father and the Son have done and have given themselves for us. This table which the Lord has prepared for you today reminds us of that very same thing. This table reminds us of the words of Jesus Christ in 1513 when He said, There is no greater love than this, than that someone would lay down his life for his friends. This table reminds us of the words of 1 John 4, 9 and 10, that this is how God showed love among us, that He sent His one and only Son into the world, that we may live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for sins. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, we do thank You, and we remember... We thank you, Lord, for this portion of your holy word which reminds us of who you are and of what you have done for us, what you have already given to us. Lord, we pray as Paul prayed that you would give these these things to us all the more. Lord, continue to give us this ongoing, never-ceasing, eternal comfort and hope. Lord, give us that so that our faith would be strengthened. Lord, so that our faith would never fail. And that so that we would be equipped for ministry service so that we might proclaim your excellencies. Lord, we also thank you for this bread and this cup. We pray, Lord, that you would take these common elements of, of bread and juice and set them apart for your holy purposes, Lord. Lord God, we pray that you would bless us as Paul has asked you to bless the Thessalonians in this page. Bless us also, Lord, as we partake of this holy meal with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as we, as we partake of this holy food, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would remember your love for us, that we would remember that you have given your son Jesus to us. And that you continue to give us that which we need. Lord, build our faith as we partake of this spiritual nourishment that you provide us today. In your word and in your sacrament. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.